Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Warm welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you, two experts over the course of an hour. It is Thursday, the 16th of November, December. Apologies. <laughs> I'm Nadine Blaney. Boy, we're off to a cracking start. Good thing I've got two expert guests here with me in studio. I've been so looking forward to this. We have Gaurav Sodi from The Intelligent Investor and Luke Winchester joining us from Meriwether Capital. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning or afternoon. Is well, it exactly. Morning? I know. <laughs> it feels like that at the end of the year, yeah, right? Yeah, it does. I'm, um, I'm with you totally. Yeah. Santa Claus Rally, we saw a pretty solid reaction to mm. even the pace of taper and the course of tightening likely coming from the Fed next year. You know, every time December rolls around, one of the things, I love December, I love Christmas, my favorite time of the year. Yeah. The one thing that ruins it for me is everyone getting up talking about the Santa Claus rally. <laughs> Who cares? Noted. One month of the year, stocks go up, stocks go down, they go up in random days on random months at random times of the year. I mean, what kind of analyst sits down and tries to, to pick a Santa Claus rally or takes heed of one, you know? I, I just think it's a silly notion and we can all enjoy December a lot more without it. Okay, let's get a view from Luke. You love it, don't you? <laughs> well, look, did the market performance this year, let's call it 7,400 by end of December. Is that, is, is that good enough? Uh, from where we've come, I think so, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and it doesn't surprise me what's happened since that peak um, earlier in the year. Where did we peak? Like March, April. It's been sideways for a long time. Um, I, I've said this to a lot of people. The reason it doesn't surprise me is the, the, the way the Aussie index is made up. Mm. It, it's an index that's designed to track sideways from here, in my mind. I just I struggle to see where the next growth legs are at an index level when you have banks at record valuations and what I think are peak earnings, making up 20% of your index, another 10 to 15 in iron ore miners that has that commodity challenged, um, and then maybe another 10 to 15 in stocks like Woolies, Amcor, Brambles, that just where, where's the growth coming through for those businesses? So unless multiple expansion is going to do some more heavy lifting, which admittedly it's done, I struggle to see anything but maybe sideways from here. So recovery out of COVID has been strong. I think now, I hate saying it, but it's, it's probably a stock picker's market. I don't think you get that broad based, you know, just buy an index and, and, and hold it now for the next few years. I think the value of active management comes in. Um, I agree with Gaurav on the Santa rally stuff. I mean, you know, anyone who wants charting analysis probably won't get much today from, from either of us. It's, mm -hmm. it's not our style. And, you know, it, it, it's what the businesses are doing, Nadine. Mm -hmm. Whether they rally in December or not, it, it's all irrelevant. So, yeah. Well, not, that, I, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I completely agree about that point about the Australian index. The Australian index is completely unsuited for a, um, an index level um, following. You know, that's why I think ETFs for Australia don't make a whole lot of sense. There's half a dozen stocks that contribute an overwhelming amount of the movement in that index and they concentrate in two areas as well. Interestingly, I think the NASDAQ now is reflecting the same sort of problems that the ASX has long had in that it's those top five companies now that are moving the NASDAQ 
even though the majority of the stocks are often in completely opposite directions to those top five. Mm -hmm. So those top five, the NASDAQ on aggregate level is doing really, really well. I would say 95% of the number of stocks are down significantly mm -hmm. and those leaders are driving it. It's the same dynamic in mm -hmm. the Aussie market, which is why index level analysis, if you're a chartist, fine. If you're a, a, a fundamental um, analyst or an investor, then index level analysis is severely wanting. Okay, now let's get then to <coughs> our stock of the day. And I picked this using a bit of a different criteria. It's Macquarie Telecom. Now there was mm -hmm. an investor update yesterday. Uh, the data center provider in a pretty sweet spot. So it's taking advantage of the long-term structural trends of cloud computing. Investors um, really lapping up the company. Shares are up around 50% over the past 12 months. Uh, listen, I, I picked it today because I was fortunate enough to have a chat with the CEO, David Tudhope, mm. earlier this morning to hear his take on the company's FY22 outlook. Listen in. The whole world has accelerated its shift towards cloud. Uh, cloud lives in data centres mm. uh, and we, we build and operate large data centres uh, in Australia. We've brought forward uh, the planning of our new data centre, uh, IC3 Super West, uh, which will be a world-scale data centre. There's a lot of real challenges with data centres. Power is one of those. Data centres consume large amounts of power. They're so much more efficient than the predecessors of in-house computer rooms. But nevertheless, that level of power and that efficiency takes a lot of planning, a lot of effort. Our model for the last 20 years has been about buying large sites, large campuses, so more the US model, and then filling it up with data centers. And that's really what's brought, enabled us to bring forward this extra capacity to meet this COVID-stimulated shift to the cloud. All right, so a COVID-stimulated shift to the cloud. Uh, Macquarie Telecom is furiously building those data centers and doing so using that campus model that it has taken from the United States. So now let's get a view on Macquarie Telecom from my guests here in studio. I was just reading a broker note from uh, RBC Capital Markets. It's got an outperform on the company with a price target of $80, Gaurav. What do you think? My, my target's higher. Is it? Yes. What is it? <laughs> I reckon it could be worth $100. And um, the way these guys allocate capital, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell it $100 either. So I'm going to, a warning, fair warning, both of you, I'm going to engage in a bit of boasting here. Um, <laughs> we upgraded this um, below $20. Um, I've been following this stock for a long time and just waiting for a chance to buy it. It was the first thing I upgraded um, when, the, uh, when the market went, fell to madness in March really? last year. Yep, mm -hmm. the first stock I went to. Um, and it's one I've been waiting for for a while. It is a um, intriguing business because it, the, the, the business started out as a traditional telco business, which is not a great industry to be in. The numbers are just okay rather mm -hmm. than compelling, but then it's used its, um, its relationships and capital from that business to parlay into um, cloud government and um, data centers. And that is a splendid business. And these guys have done a wonderful job of um, allocating capital, of, uh, of, use, of leveraging the balance sheet, um, and of growing that business um, to the extent that it is now the overwhelming majority of Macquarie Telecom. And I still don't think that the market as a whole fully appreciates the strength of data centers as a business. I think most people view them as property businesses or infrastructure assets, which they are, it's true, but um, they're also network businesses. Um, and uh, you know, we've owned NextDC and Infratel, which own CDC, the largest government um, mm -hmm. DC in the, in, in, in the land. 
And all of those companies benefit from these networks that are built inside the data centers. Um, so NextDC, for example, is a key competitor to, um, to Megaport. Megaport trade on on, trades on these enormous multiples. They talk about these great connections. NextDC does the same connections inside its network. Equinix, the world's biggest data center operator, does the same thing. Macquarie is building something similar at a much smaller scale, mm -hmm. but with all those benefits tangled up as well. Um, they actually generate um, leasing revenue from having customers inside their DCs, and then they generate very high margin services revenue, which keeps those, com um, those customers intact. Um, so uh, the, we're only really at the beginning. At the moment, we're starting to see the, um, the rental revenue start to roll onto the numbers. Over the next few years, we're about to see the services revenue um, swamp margins, and I think they're going to increase tremendously. As I said, I think this is potentially worth over $100 a share. Uh, I own it personally, and I wouldn't sell it for, for years. It's a long-term holding for me. Um, look, if you're a long-term investor, you can buy it now. Um, they are going through a CapEx-heavy um, portion of their cycle at the moment, so there's a chance it could fall further, but I shouldn't worry a long-term investor. Buy $66 you'd be buying today. Mm. Luke, $100 price target from Gora. That's pretty punchy. Yeah, I hadn't considered a price target, but um, I think it's a buy too. Um, and, and I agree with Gaurav, it's, it's a long-term investment. Um, you see from the share price, it can be lumpy. Um, it's a very liquid stock, which is what drives that a little bit. Yeah, true. Um, mm. to, to drill into to Gaurav's point, they had their um, investor presentation yesterday, Nadine, and this business did an interesting thing a few months ago, Gaurav, where they restructured their reporting lines of yes. the business and broke yes. out data centers <laughs> for the first time. Yeah. And when you look at those numbers, the core telco business, as Gaurav pointed out, it's a stable business, but low growth. Mm -hmm. But that's providing a lot of cash flow that they're investing back into the data center business. That business does about half of the revenue of the group and only contributes contributes about a quarter of the profits, whereas data centers generated 7% of the revenue and contributed nearly a quarter of, of EBITDA. So the, the economics of the data center business, as, as Gaurav pointed out, is, is tremendous. Um, I, I've um, been familiar with Macquarie Telecom for, for a while and, and, and used to own it um, at, at the, the shop I was at. Um, it's, it's one where it's the thing I like about the business could also be its its greatest weakness, which is it's been content to grow slowly over mm. time, whereas some other competitors, NextDC, most among them, um, realise that um, the industry could be in a land grab right now. So NextDC is raising capital, mm -hmm. um, investing heavily, whereas Macquarie Telecom has been more content to slowly take that capital as they get it in and, 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 and move slowly. slowly. So it's, it's a risk that they are small and, and could be left behind by those competitors, but the type of investor I am, I love that prudence from management. And, and you had David there before. He's a fantastic manager. They have unbelievable NPS scores across their telco business. I'm sure data centers would be the same. That's so true. When you compare what NextDC does to its balance sheet, it gears up, takes on a lot of debt, invests very quickly. Only own the managers would show the conservative conservatism and care with the balance sheet that Macquarie has shown. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big difference between the two. 100%. And so I, I think it's a buy as well. Um, I don't have a specific price target, but for me, definitely long-term investors because yes, it will be volatile. And you saw before it's pulled back from 80 odd dollars to, to 66. You'll the, see that around the liquidity of the stock. Yeah, the illiquidity is a, is a big issue. We yeah. had a lot of trouble getting but, in. But for um, retail shareholders, that's mm -hmm. your opportunity too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you can, you can take advantage of that illiquidity um, average up into a position like this or average down if that price is coming down. You don't have to pick it all up straight away. But long term, 
love the the industry they're in. Mm -hmm. I love their their uh, prudence of the way they've allocated capital, and I think it's it's such a well-run business. I really like well, it. Well, I'm glad we started the show <laughs> this way. It is a buy from both yeah. of my guests. It's already in the Osbiz portfolio, so it will remain there. Let's get onto the list that uh, you all have provided for us. This is. McPherson's is first on the list, and this is for Denise. Uh, now, guys, McPherson's, uh, just for viewers perhaps, it's consumer products essentially. It's health and wellness and uh, beauty as well, primarily in Australasia. Um, it's also got some of those greener, I don't know, household items. Um, it's, uh, you know, cling wrap and, and stuff like that. So, what do you think of McPherson's? I can see why you'd look at it. Um, it, it would look appealing superficially. A, the price is, is low and attractive. The yield is attractive. The numbers, um, I think, would, would appease you if, if that's what you're into. Um, you know, they, they typically make about 10% um, margins and that's collapsed down to 2%. So there's room here for a turnaround. You've got the combination of, of maybe um, below average margins combined with a low starting valuation, which is generally a good combination. For me though, this is just a lousy business and it's been a lousy business for a very long time. I've been pitched this company for years and for years, it always has some story about why it's gonna do better. You know, the, I remember a couple of years ago, um, they had excess logistics space. They're gonna, they're gonna gear up and run more volume through there warehouses and, and that scale would generate more margins. Well, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Before then, they bought a whole series of beauty brands. They're going to be the next BWX, sell into China. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. There's a new story now about what's going to change. But fundamentally, this is a low growth, low quality business with poor margins, powerful customers and, and poor economics. A cheap price is deserved and not enough to attract attention. I, I think sometimes investors don't appreciate that a wide range of, of multiples and valuations is appropriate for most businesses. Businesses should not trade around a mean. Great companies deserve big multiples. Lousy businesses deserve low multiples. This is, the, the, com the, the valuation today I, I think is, is appropriate and I don't think there's an opportunity. Luke. It's hard to disagree with, with most of that. Um, it's, it's low margin commodity products. Um, the, the history of the business was around that distribution network they've got and the efficiencies they had, but I agree with Gaurav, it just didn't really play out. They pivoted to try and to, to drive their own brands. A few years ago, the market got excited about Dr. Lewin's as, a, right. as a beauty product and, yeah. and the growth they were getting in China. Um, and, and like a few of the brands exporting to China, A2 Milk, Blackmores, mm. you know, that, was, that was crushed sort of as, as COVID hit. Mm. What's scary for McPherson's is they've been quite honest with themselves and I think maybe Blackmores and A2 Milk may have this same moment at some point in the future of thinking that the disruption to, to China was a supply issue of mm. Daigu trade or getting their distribution channels mm -hmm. over to China. Um, they came out with a trading update and said they've tried different supply channels into China, be that direct or through resellers or, or different um, channels. And they haven't seen any pickup in sales, which suggests it's a demand issue and not a supply issue. And I think what people are slowly starting to realise is the Chinese consumer and the influence that can be had over them through the Chinese state media, they've clearly pivoted away from Australian New Zealand brands. And so it wouldn't surprise me if Blackmores and A2 Milk face similar issues to, to, to what McPherson's are facing on a, yeah. on a different level, obviously. Yeah. 
big impairments to inventory. You look yeah. at some guidance, Gorab's right. Optically, it looks interesting. And as a contrarian value investor, you want to be you know, looking around and sniffing around this business, but I, I, I can't do it. It's an avoid for me. Um, the thing I didn't like as well, I, Blackmore's actually came up as a suggestion on the call a while, mm-hmm. a while ago, so I looked at that. Um, they've done something similar to Blackmore's, which has put out this FY26 you know, ambitious long-term guidance. I've got no faith whatsoever this management team can, can land it. They're talking about more than doubling sales and doubling earnings. You know, there's just no evidence to suggest that could happen. So I'd, I'd completely ignore that as a possibility. It's just a, it's just an avoid. Okay. Um, wait for the, if you're sniffing around this as a turnaround, wait for the fundamentals to turn around before you, you step in. Don't try and predict this as a turnaround whatsoever. McPherson's is a no-go. Let's get on to the next one on the list. This is class. CL1 is the ticker code for Matthew. I had to look this up. So this is a software company, software that's used in SMSF from what I can see. Uh, Luke, are you familiar with the company? What do you think looking at uh, the numbers? Yeah, I must admit, I didn't look too closely at Class because they've got a takeover um, offer from Hub, which I think will almost certainly go forward. So buying Class today is just a call on whether you want to own Hub. Um, For me, I don't dislike Hub. I think it's a good business. I think the valuation is stretched. Um, The difficulty I have with owning Hub is I think you have a better competitor in net wealth right beside them, and I struggle to own Hub over net wealth. It, It trades cheaper, it's higher margin, it's higher growth. Um, and I think Hub is taking on a lot of execution risk with the acquisitions they've made and, and class becomes part of that execution risk. I mean, you have platform businesses that are very simple, um, you know, and, and, and the, the, the path, the growth way path they have um, of capturing, um, you know, the, the big incumbents mm-hmm. like your BTs and your Macquaries of people as advisors move off those platforms. You're now muddying that with class, which is SMSF software and some accounting software. I just I think I'd rather own net wealth. So I, I wouldn't buy class today, to be honest. I'd, I'd probably sell okay. it rather than own hub and, and move on and put my capital elsewhere. Yeah, we actually owned class into the takeover. It's another stock that got upgraded um, during March Madness. And um, I was very surprised to see this takeover. The investment case for us for class was about class morphing into a competitor to um, to Hub, um, because they had all the relationships, they had all the data, they had all the developers, and they had a wonderful fixed fee model, which just would break the economics of these platforms. And um, and we expected Class to move into that area and eventually challenge those platforms. I thought, look, it's, it's an outside chance they could take them over, but I didn't expect management to roll over and accept it. Um, and, and I'm disappointed to, to let it go. It, it's not a great business, it's above average, and um, I didn't love management. Um, I, I thought they were overly aggressive and um, they've got a wonderful competitor. I tell you what, Luke, if you don't know BGL, mm. BGL is a competitor. Yeah. To, if those guys ever list, um, I think they look wonderful. Mm. It's a private business, competitor class, they do great products. Um, I would love to have them list and love to, okay. to, to own them one day. Um, but I, I agree, this is a call with it own hub. And I, I also agree that, that um, net wealth is a better business. Both of them arguably over earning and I think margins could fall, I would sell. Sell, thank <clears> you. <throat> Let's get on to the next on the list, Galaxy Resources. This one is for Anthony GXY, over to you Gora. Yeah, another strange, um, I, I'm surprised, I was surprised to see class pop up. I'm also mm-hmm. surprised to see this pop up because Galaxy no longer exists. It's now merged with Orocobra and what's it called? Alchem? Alchem. Alchem, yeah, 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 which is a... One of the big stories of the year, really. It is, yeah. yeah. In fact, the rise of lithium is one of the big stories mm-hmm. of the year, and it's taken a lot of people by surprise, myself included. Um, we haven't participated in the lithium rally. I'm not sure I'm a believer. I own mineral resources and have had for years. Why I think. are you not a believer in the lithium rally? It's happened. 
it's happened, but you know, commodities go up and down all the time. There is an awful lot of lithium in the world. Lithium is not a scarce commodity at all. And lithium is not even a mining business. Lithium is a chemistry business. And um, you know, the, it's, it's a really hard one at that. You know, I, I own miners. I like the mining industry. I'm familiar with it. And I don't think it's as mysterious or as complex as a lot of investors um, lay claim. But lithium is complicated. And it's because the flow sheets are incomprehensibly complex. It's, it's a chemistry set. And, um, and what these guys do is difficult. So they own a couple of deposits. The one in WA is, is really, um, they're just digging up rocks and selling the concentrate. And they're getting, what, $2,000 a tonne. If they actually did applied the chemistry onto that concentrate, they'd get 10x, um, um, they'd probably get about $20,000 mm-hmm. a tonne to that. Um, to that same volume of, of mining that they're, that they're selling. So that, that's an incomplete project from my point of view. They need to put, they need to set up a processing plant and that's the complexity. Um, and over in, in Argentina, they've got a brine um, mm-hmm. production. Brine is incomprehensible. Brine is so hard. There are very few brine projects that work well because the chemistry is so difficult and the chemistry of the brine needs to match to your customer very closely. Um, so these, these are difficult, complex projects. They have a wonderful growth path. They've got three or four world-class, really good-looking development projects, but super complicated. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I, my, my preference for lithium is to go for simplicity. I do like Pilbara Minerals. Crazy price. I wouldn't buy it, but, but that's a, that's a nice-looking model of what a lithium miner ought to look like. I love the way Minres has done it. They've recognized the complexity. Free carried, um, got, got a much bigger brother to come on, pay for and establish the processing, and they're just going to sit back and collect revenues. That's smart. Buy Minres, and I would not be interested in this one. Luke, lithium. Did you miss it? Yeah, I miss every mining stock. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad Gaurav's on for a bit of context there, because it's not, it's not my space. I, I don't really do mm. much much mining. Um, I, I did have a look. It took me a second, because I was looking for yeah. Galaxy. Yeah, I, I right. didn't realise the merger had gone through and they'd mm. been renamed, so eventually found it. Um, look, it, it brings them a lot of scale. I, I saw that. That's nice. I, you know, I, would, I would rather a producer at scale than, than some explorers yeah, and things true. like that. Mm. Um, I, I've owned min, min res in the past with Gaurav, and, and I agree, like, you know, obviously you've got challenges around the iron ore at the minute, but yeah. um, uh, Chris Ellison, that's his name. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Such a, he's such a fantastic oh, operator. Um, yeah. And just look at what he did with the lithium, you mm. know, in the first place. He bought that at the, at the depths of, that's of the right. lithium price. When no one so wanted it, he bought no it. No one wanted to touch yeah. it. So, um, you know, I, I would prefer to play it through that. Um, everyone else looks really expensive to the mm. point where you're taking the current lithium prices and I think you're extracting that out for maybe decades to try and get the, the, the value at the current prices for... Mm these majors, um, be that Allchem, Pilbara, um, or any others around. So I don't know enough to say sell to someone, so I'll, I'll say hold um, if, if you're in there, but but I'd be I'd be wary. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've run hard. I'd, I'd, honestly, I'd be taking profits. Yeah. Um, That's a sell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now the let's... Clover Corporation, CLV, is the ticker code for Liv, who's asking about Clover Corporation. Um, are you getting any enthusiasm over this one, Gaurav? Look, I can see a case for this. Um, we've kind of looked on and off, uh, um, looked at this one on and off for, for several years, and I think it, there's a good business being developed here. Clover makes um, makes sort of oils and powders um, that go into other products, mm-hmm. um, and they are quite high value. So they add the fish oils to, to baby powder. They add um, uh, life preserving, not life preserving, sort of uh, product preserving yeah. additives to other products. Um, 
A and lot in infant uh, nutrition. That's the bulk of yeah. their, their things at the moment, but there's actually a lot more they can do with their product than just infant. But, um, but that seems to be where, where the revenue is coming from at the moment. But generally, these kind of businesses that add a small, uh, add a lot of value to another, to a much larger value chain, but contribute a small amount of cost, this is a really nice place to be. And I'm thinking of companies a bit like, um, you know, YKK? YKK yeah. is the biggest maker of zips in the world. Nine oh, out of okay. ten, nine out of ten um, pieces of clothing in the world have a YKK zip. Those guys, I tell you what, if they ever list, now that's the company you want to buy. <laughs> that is as just, long as I remember, <laughs> my, my zips have had YKK. Right? On. I, I bet if you checked any any article of clothing now, you probably got a YKK yeah. zip. Yeah. Um, small item, super important to the uh, to the value of the garment, um, but a low cost, tremendous pricing power. Um, the other one I was thinking of was, um, there's a business in the US, I forget the name, but it, it makes glue for electronic circuits. Mm -hmm. And there's a very specific kind of glue you need to stick circuitry together. Like they can charge whatever they like because the circuits are worth so much. I think this is in a similar space. I, I want to like this. It's just not quite there yet in terms of maturity, but there are makings of a very attractive business here. I would keep this on my watch list. Um, I like the economics. The management seems eminently sensible. There are some good investors on board, which is what got me interested in the first place. But in terms of um, business development, it's not there. It needs a few more years. I, I would keep it on the watch list, keep an eye on it, but I, I would actually not even hold it at this point. I, I would just watch it from the sidelines. Okay. But interesting, it's a nice one to bring up. Um, I owned it a few years ago um, and sold because, as Gaurav pointed out, their major customers were the infant formulas. You could see the struggles they were yeah. going through. So you sort of get a feel of where the business was gonna go over the last few years. So Gaurav's completely spot on. You actually see it in the numbers. Like they do 30 something percent returns on equity yeah. um, at scale. And, and that's you know the sign of, of a good niche business. Mm -hmm. Their main IPs around, they take the fish oil and they um, turn that into a dry powder. And so the cheapest way to get the nutrients from a fish oil into infant formula is just to, to wet spray it in. If you do that too much, it starts to taste like a fish. <laughs> and so babies don't like that. Um, and so the use of dry powder, which as Gorab points mm. out, very high margin because it's that tiny little product, but a lot of value ascribed to it. The tailwinds they've had is that governments around the world have realized the benefits of, for brain health, for, for children or for babies development. Um, and they're mandating high levels of this DHA in infant formula. And to reach those higher levels, you basically can't use the wet injection completely anymore. So infant formulas are topping up with, with dry powder. Clover's not the only one, bear in mind, mm. but, but obviously a big player in that space. So it was, you, you could see it all in the business a few years ago. Share price did really well. The operating metrics were, were fantastic, but they were riding the coattails of Bellamy's A2 and the Australian producers. Those guys hit the wall, Clover hit the wall with them. Now, why I like Clover better than those businesses though is they are brand agnostic yeah. and they've recognized that. They're trying to work with the Chinese brands directly. Mm. Haven't landed anything yet. I agree with Gaurav, put this on your watch list. This is a business that if they can do what they wanna do over the next few years, it will be a fantastic business to own. Um, you're going through some, some pain at the minute. It possibly presents an opportunity, but even at today's prices, it's, it hasn't bottomed out. I think, you know, as Gore said, there's still some good investors in there, I think, see that long-term vision. So you haven't seen that complete washout of a, of a you know, mm. people who think there's a broken business there. Um, so put it on your watch list. If you're in there, hold it. I would still hold it. Um, I, would, I wouldn't sell it, um, but, but definitely keep an eye on it because this is a business where if they can make that pivot to the brands that are performing well, mm -hmm. the Aussie brands are struggling, mm -hmm. they'll, do, they'll do really well. And so China is one of those um, mm -hmm. legislations that are mandating a doubling of the DHAs. Right. So the Chinese producers are being forced to look. 
So there's just execution risk. You just want to see signs that they're achieving. That's right. Good. All right, let's get on to, actually, that was number five. Oh. Hard to believe. We're, We're on time. Already? No, no, that's saying number four. Oh, I've got my... I'm having a shocker today. <laughs> Number five on the list. We're here for you, Nadine. Laser Australia SLA. This one is for Joel. So this is a fairly recent IPO. I think it happened this year. Mm. Um, a big market, big, big market, because they're not just doing laser. It's not just hair removal. You start to think of injectables mm -hmm. and all the rest of it that comes with it. Do you like the business, Luke? Um, this came up for me a few months ago, and I came into my research expecting not to like it and actually came away more impressed than what I thought I would be. Um, I actually said buy, like speculative buy on that day, and shares have pretty much traded sideways despite a few decent updates. Um, it is a roll-up, and generally I don't like them, which is why I expected not to, to like the stock. But the operating metrics around the business were, were, were very strong at a, at a unit level, at a store level. Um, good, good store rollout, which is always what you want to see for, for these sorts of stories. The big risk I saw was they made a very large acquisition, which we talk about execution risk with Clover, that brings in large execution risk. They acquired Australian skin clinics, which effectively doubled the business. Um, but that business seems to be doing well. The AGM update, you know, they called out that was doing 19% like for like sales. So, you know, if you acquire a big business, that's the sort of thing you want to continue to see. Um, it continues to be the major risk moving forward. It's Like I said, it's doubled the size of the business. It moves them into new geographies they weren't previously. And it also brings in a franchisee business model, which they've never used. So a few question marks. But, you know, again, I looked at it about 14 times um, EBITDA, which is not my favorite metric, but for a, a stock like this, I, I will accept it because you do have the, the DNA of rolling out your, your stores. Um, messy around COVID and they excluded their, their closed days when they gave the update. But again, I'll grant them that. I think it's, mm -hmm. it, it's fair to do that. And I think the market will eventually look past that. So I'll, I'll say I'll stay at buy again. Um, again, it's not my most high conviction buy, but if, if that's the sort of stock you're looking for um, and it's early in that rollout stage, I think you can buy these, but keep an eye on them because these rollouts, when they turn, they, they turn ugly. Um, and, and you've seen that in the past, but I'll, I'll say buy. Look, I agree the numbers look spectacular, and I would say they almost look too good. So the margins here are tremendous. So this is interesting. We had a bunch of analysts here um, trawling over, at, you know, at II, we were all trawling over the margins of injectables and went to, actually went to visit a few clinics um, yeah. as well. One of our guys... Oh, I can you do look good, yeah. <laughs> Didn't get any treatments done, maybe we should have. Um, one of our guys figured out that um, the prices for a six-treatment um, uh, injectable session had fallen by 20% over the last three or four years. And I think that is where we really start to think hard about this business. So the, the X labor, once you include margins and include the clinic costs, the, the might include costs and labor, mm -hmm. uh, the clinic costs and the labor, the margins on injectables, about 50%, the margins on the, uh, uh, the other treatments, mm -hmm. um, uh, is about 40%. These are huge, huge product margins. And when you think about the industry, there are zero barriers to entry. There are actually about 1,100 um, clinics littered around Australia, and about 70% of those are actually owned by little uh, independents, um, family stores or individuals owning them. Um, corporates have now moved in, and they own about 30% of mm -hmm. clinics, and they are aggressively, all of them, aggressively buying up. And, and, and as Luke suggests, there's a land grab now on now going on. API, which is um, you know under takeover at the moment, has the number two um, clinic uh, group in, in Australia. Which one's that? 
It's okay. called uh, Skin Clear or something yeah, like that. Okay. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so they own that. And, and I think there's every chance that when API gets ingested by one of these two giants, that thing comes out. An interesting case for Silk would be if they're able to purchase that and merge those two together. I suspect that has not been run optimally by API, um, even though the numbers are quite good from what we can see. So they're, they're, that's the buy case. I can see a sensible buy case. The margins are incredible. The valuation is not demanding. If they can grab this, this thing that's going to probably launch out of API, I think that will project it a lot further. But I do think the entire industry is just over-earning. These margins mm -hmm. seem extraordinary to me for, for an industry where anyone can set up a clinic and, um, and most people, I think there's going to be a lot more entrance um, into this industry. So a lot yeah. of competition. To, yeah. to Gaurav's point as well um, about that over-earning, I touched on COVID being a headwind with obviously lockdowns and stores closing. The benefit it has for these guys is, as Gaurav pointed out, most of your competition is just you know someone, a, mm. a small business owner owning a single store. You don't have the balance sheet to survive a lockdown. Yep. So. Um, Silk and, and, and Skin Clear and the bigger players who can survive that. You've had, you know, savvy acquisitions can be made. That's where an aspect of the over-earning comes in too, um, mm -hmm. as those competitors have maybe not been able that's to reopen post-COVID yeah, um, and you've, you've sort of stolen a bit of market share. So yeah. a few question marks, but, but I think the price probably doesn't reflect... It's, you're getting a cheap enough price, but I think you can t take a few of those question marks. Is, is my point. Yeah, look, you probably talked me into a hold, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to, I was going to come in and say so, but I think some of the points you raise are quite good. Um, and and the valuation, I think, is importantly the you're not starting off with a, with a silly valuation. So I'm going to go hold, but I'd be laser like laser like right. Ah. <laughs> I'd be focusing on um, on those margins, and if yeah. there's compression in those margins, mm -hmm. I think that's a sign of a broken thesis. Because you do notice that a lot of these groups around, and some mm. are owned by private equity. I think it's Laser Clinics is owned by private equity. Yeah, that's there the are a leader. lot of yeah. sales. You know, you can get yes. six treatments for. I noticed You know, yes. and down by fifty percent <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like zoom out a little bit, guys. Okay, mm. now we are at the halfway mark, and uh, I'll just run you through what we've learned so far. So the stock of the day, I'm really glad I picked it, Macquarie Telecom. It is a buy from both of my guests. In fact, Gorav has a $100 price target on the stock. Luke just says, you know, it's a long-term hold, uh, you know, for a long-term investment because you could see some volatility. It's quite illiquid as well. McPherson's, it's a, it's an avoid for both of my guests. Gorav says cheap and yield, you know, can be tempting, but it's a lousy business. It's got low growth and it's low quality. And um, Luke also points out that the big picture in China is not good. It doesn't speak to, uh, yeah, real demand for Australian products going forward. Now, when we get to class, this is a sell. There's a Hub24 takeover on the table. Luke doesn't want to own Hub24, nor does Gorav. In fact, they both like net wealth in the space. And I'll consider that a bonus buy. I mean, at current prices, would you buy net wealth? I would not. No, no, Luke, <laughs> no. no, okay. They just Sorry, prefer <laughs> net wealth. Try my best here, people. Uh, let's get on to Galaxy Resources. Again, it's merged with Oracobra. It has a new name. Um, Gaurav and Luke have both not been invested in this lithium price uh, uptick that we've seen this year. I think up by about 400% for Spodium. Um, lithium's complicated for Gaurav. He said, if you're looking to gain exposure to the space, he would prefer mineral resources. I think Luke goes with that as well. He would actually sell if you are already in Galaxy's new um, new business that it's merged with Oracobra. 
Let's get to Clover Corporation. Uh, this is on the watch list for Gorav. It's a hold if you're already in it for Luke, and it's on his watch list if you're not. He wants to see it execute in China because it is brand agnostic. Again, Gorav says it's just not quite there yet in terms of business development, but um, he doesn't mind what it does. And keep in mind that governments are mandating uh, more of this omega-3 being put into particularly infant formulas, and that is a huge addressable market. Number five on the list, Silk Laser. It is a buy for Luke, but he says you've got to watch this one. There are a few question marks in his view, but um, he does sort of like what it's doing in terms of the rollout. Gorov was convinced to, to take a hold position in it. He questions whether it's over earning right now. There's not a lot of barriers of, to entry. He wants to figure out whether it's too good to be true on the metrics. But if you're in it, hold it, because there is potential for the company to buy APIs spin out, which is skin care clinics. All right, we have a portfolio here on the call. I'm sure you've heard us talk about it before. Companies need to get two buys from our expert guests on the day. And in this case today, it was Macquarie Telecom, but it's already in there, so it will remain in the portfolio. Let's check in on how we've been performing weekly. We're up just, uh, oh, sorry, we're down 0.6%. Over the month, 3.36%, and the full year to date up by about seven. So that's from July 1st, 2020, so it's fiscal year. We've been tracking this portfolio there since July 1st, 2020, and we're up 46 and a half Guys, feel free to comment on any of these, but uh, Vection Technologies uh, was put in. Yeah, really? Okay. EBOS Group, that came through last week after it uh, bought that medtech business. It's better than you expected. Yeah, and uh, well, my guest on the day said, look, it even has some sort of blue chip qualities emerging in it. Mm. So there you go. Adair's, Magellan Financial Group. Yes. Gaurav Sodi's yes. Advent Calendar <laughs> Pick. Yeah. Look, uh, I don't have the time when that was added, but an interesting mm. one. Jeez, Gaurav. I know. What, what, what good timing. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you came to me first for that. Um, yeah, people hate that thing. Absolutely yeah. hate it. I, I've rarely seen a business mal as maligned as that one is. I think people are really enjoying um, the fall of, of I think Douglas. so too, but it's yeah. interesting to me because it goes to that key man risk and mm. it goes to the whole tall poppy thing mm. that yes, we've got going absolutely. on. And it also, yeah. the more you make yourself the face of something, mm. You know, the more susceptible you are to that type of criticism. Anyways, we digress. Yeah. Uh, would you buy Magellan just on value? Um, I think you could start to buy it. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't jump in straight away just because of the sentiment. But I think you can start to. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, added Genworth Mortgage. So we've taken out. What have we taken out? Ingham's, Atomos, Bapcor, and Harvey Norman. That hasn't changed in quite a little while. If you'd like to look at that portfolio, osbiz.co forward slash. And of course, we keep you updated each and every day here on the call. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. Great to have you along with us for the call on this Thursday afternoon. Really pleased to have two guests in the studio with me. It just it makes for such a good conversation. Mm -hmm. Luke Winchester is here from Meriwether Capital and also Gaurav Sodi from The Intelligent Investor. So let's crack on with it. Next on the list for Harriet is Zipco. Z-I-P is the ticker code, one P I should say. Asking how the stock compares to others in the buy now, pay later space, buy, hold or sell. It's an interesting question uh, because the heats really come out of BNPL this year. 
Perhaps it was a 2020 story. Are we going to see more consolidation? If we do, is Zipco uh, likely to be taken over, Luke? Um, it's a good question. I think you do see more consolidation. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I start of, I came on Ausbiz start of this year and, and was asked to give like a you know year prediction. And one of mine was that I, I think the buy now, pay later space would, would blow up completely. Among those third tier guys, you, you just saw them pop up, Sezzle, Open Pay. Oh, remember. the list is long. Can't yeah. remember the rest of them. At least I gave a warning when I started boasting. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to do the same. <laughs> Zip, Zip comes up a lot. It's a very popular mm. stock. Um, mm. And it comes up a lot. And whenever I look at it, I can I can see it's not those stocks. It's not that bad. There's maybe a business here, mm. but it's really buried down under the surface. They've got to strip out a lot of sort of general admin, sales and marketing. There's a lot of costs in this business. That's coming through in growth, no doubt about that. The growth numbers look strong. But these are finance businesses and the difficulty I've had with the whole space, and I look silly, and I'm sure Gorab hasn't played much in it either. You look silly for a while there because of the share price is doing so well, but um, it's, it's a game of capital. And, and, and Afterpay, Affirm, Klarna, um, they've got access to much cheaper capital and they can recycle that capital quicker, cheaper than what these other guys can. And, and I see Zip, Zip's sort of, like I said, in between and, and maybe it builds up a customer base that has value to one of those big guys. And particularly as that valuation comes down, maybe it is a, a, an acquisition target. Um, but standing on its own, putting that to the side, yep. I, I struggle to be a contrarian, even though it's come down from $12 to, to four or whatever it is today. It was as high as 14 at one point, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right, so buy, hold, sell. I would, I would sell it, to be honest. I think in the past I've sort of said hold, but it's a, it's a space where it's sentiment driven. But in particular, even though I'm not a person who would trade on that sentiment, sentiment is what drives, I guess, these businesses because they need the market. They need the market and they're reliant on the market's capital. So the, the more the share price falls, it's, it's a you know, catch-22 for this business because the dilution becomes higher. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't like the space okay. um, at all. Yeah. Okay, sell. Buy, hold, sell. Look, I'm just going to preface. I'm glad you went to Luke first because I don't know Nadine. I, I'm terrible at this space. Everything I've said has been wrong. You're looking at the guy who sold after pay under three bucks. Ooh. Someone hit me over the head, please. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I've always got this wrong. It's not my wheelhouse. Um, okay. It looks too hard to me. I, I would sell it. And um, look, there might be a, a good business in there, but it's not really my thing and I failed to recognize it um, early on. I probably failed to recognize it now. So okay. I just do something else. All right, let's find out if that's Trajan Group. TRJ mm. is the ticker code mm. for Carly. Agora? This is really interesting. So one of the things we've been trying to do a bit more of is look at IPOs, which mm-hmm. I think if you're um, you know, a value investor, it's very easy just to ignore IPOs because um, you know, you're, they're kind of selling you something and um, mm-hmm. And and, uh, and Warren Buffett said to ignore it, so you know you, you got to ignore it. Um, but I think that's a mistake. I, I think it, you you do get a lot of interesting businesses pop onto market, and um, Aussie Broadband was one of the first IPOs we uh, we got into, yeah. probably the first one in about ten years. Well, that's and it's that been was a good. roaring success. Yeah. Um, there's a couple on my watch list I want to kind of look at in more detail in the new year. I won't say what that mm-hmm. is now, but I will say that Trajan is on the, on that list, um, and this is an interesting company. Uh, the story. I, I, the great thing I love about going through IPOs is they always come with, with stories, and, um, and this has a great one. Um, so the family was sitting around the dinner table. The, the head of the family was a CEO of a um, scientific equipment maker mm-hmm. who made precision syringes, I think. And um, another, uh, a similar business came up for sale, and so he wanted to leave his job and go buy this business, and, and, and he wanted the family to run that business. And the discussion was, do we mortgage the house to do it? 
And I think those are the beginnings of an interesting business. When you put something on the line, you know, when you have more than just ambition, when you have more than just ego, when you have your house on the line, when you risk everything, I like that. Um, and it, it, they, they obviously went ahead, they mortgaged the house, they now live in a $40 million mansion in Melbourne. Oh, <laughs> so it was a great move. Um, but that- um, 10 years later, I think 10 years was, later, yeah. amazing, right? The hustle that they showed early on remains with the business today. Okay. They've made about half a different, half a dozen different acquisitions and all of them thoughtful, intriguing businesses. There's an interesting little company being cobbled together here of niche medical equipment suppliers. Yeah. Um, they have huge competition. There's a big business, multiple businesses in the US that generate sort of $60, $70 million of revenue that are competing with them. But I, I do like where this company is going. I like the founders. Um, but geez, they make it hard because the actual economics don't look great. We're talking about very slim margins, um, sort of 10% margins and, and poor cash flow, which was su surprising to me. I like to get into the accounting weeds and understand why the mm -hmm. cash flow is so poor. Um, and just the valuation is eye-watering. They're talking about mid 40s, multiples in a couple of years out for, for business I expect would grow about 10% or so. It needs to come down a long way. It's on my watch list. Um, in a market downturn, it's something to look at. Good business, um, a reason why it's, it, in, in indication of why it's a good idea to troll through IPOs yeah. occasionally. I'd actually probably sell it at this point. I think it's very expensive for what it is. This is not the kind of market to be holding ID stocks at, mm -hmm. at lofty valuations. But I like the business, I like the management, I'll come back to it at a later stage. $3.75, would you pay mm. that for Trajan? Um, I wouldn't buy it today. I would probably hold it, and maybe that's me being conditioned by a decade of hold great businesses mm. rather than sell them. I mm. mean, I agree with Gaurav, it, it looks expensive and, and you probably should sell it, but it's it's high quality. Um, I, had, I was familiar with the IPO, I hadn't looked at it closely. And um, the other part to the anecdote is they've never raised external capital before the mm -hmm. IPO. So Gaurav's right, just straight away, the, just from a narrative point of yeah. view, it just hits you over the head. Yeah. Um, I think the rationale for listing makes sense as well. They're looking to make acquisitions. That's easier for them in a listed space, yeah. um, mm. more access to capital. Mm. I would I would hold it if you're there just because of the quality of the management oh, of the business. Damn it, Luke, you're uh, changing. No, no, I, I'm not going to change my mind. You're yeah, not going to yeah. talk me into it. <laughs> but it's, it's expensive. It's okay. expensive. Yeah. All yeah. right, let's get on to number eight mm. on the list. And I've sort of should have realized that we've got another telco here, but TPG Telecom. So mm. very different business than Macquarie Telecom. Mm. Uh, this is Lucas. I'm going to start with you on this one. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll own up since I boasted earlier on that we've lost money on this one. Okay. Um, and I don't, we don't own it anymore, but um, we did own it and sold it when David Teo abruptly left the business. Yeah. And that was a big, uh, big decision because we had quite an intricate thesis laid out and then one person leaves the business and we sell all our stock, right. tell everyone to sell. And that was a big decision. And, and I did that because I think it was a, um, the thesis was broken. We have a rule at Intelligent Investor that when your thesis is broken, um, just sell. Um, sell. Sell the stock and then come back and look at it. And if you still like it, you can buy it again. But the first, first decision has to be sell. And that's to avoid any psychological errors we, we, when we use rules in investing, we don't use rules the way conventional investors might use rules. I don't, I don't looking for businesses that, that own ROE of 10 or a PE of less than 20. Mm -hmm. I think that's silly. I think that's unnecessarily restrictive. It, it puts you at the mercy of accounting and it stops you from thinking. Mm -hmm. But I do use rules where it contains my, 
my uh, inner caveman. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's you know, <laughs> That's behavioral right. science. That's right? right. Rules are there to, to control your emotions and to stop you from making psychological errors. And that's one. And, um, and so we sold it straight away. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the thesis is actually looking all that good at this point. We haven't gone back to it. I still have a sell on it. And I, the reason I haven't come back to it is because they're actually losing market share in both mobile and broadband. They own a mobile network that is crazily underutilized, maybe 50% underutilized. They are never mm -hmm. going to make money on this mobile network until they can get heaps more customers onto it. They're just not doing that. They've got a brand new management team that's completely untested. I need to see more evidence, although I will admit it looks cheap. They've got okay. a big tax shield and they generate good cash flow. I, I would still say sell at this point, but it does remain on my watch list. Watch list territory, mm. watch list for you. Would you buy, hold, or sell? Um, you? I, would, I would sell it as well. Um, it looks cheap. Um, it's a very different business to McPherson, but I feel like it's in that bucket of oh. it looks, you know, it will always look cheap for what the business is. Um, I think they're about to go through a big capex cycle as well. Um, 5G is interesting. I think 5G will bring some very cool things for society, but it will cost them a lot of money to, mm. to roll that out. Mm. Um, but but Gorab hit my main risk with the business. You just have you have competitors who are what TPG were 10 years ago. Yes. Aussie Broadband. Mm -hmm. I think Superloop's interesting, actually. I'll throw that up as a, a maybe not a, a buy today, yeah. but, but have a look at it. Um, those guys are, are restructured and starting to grow nicely. And I just think TPG, it's big, it's a behemoth now, and the smaller guys are nibbling at their heels and taking that market share. And mm. as Telstra showed, it's difficult to maintain it mm. um, once they start to eat into it. There is a, the great part of TPG is actually, they own this little corporate fiber business mm. that earns 60% margins, yeah. growing double digits. Mm -hmm. That used to be half the company, and we owned it um, also for, for that business. That's now only a third of the business, yeah. okay. and it's kind of lost inside the rest of TPG now. Especially with the Vodafone merger. Mm. Exactly, yeah, okay. so uh, that's, that's a negative. Now let's get mm. to number nine on the list. This is Lindsay Australia, LAU is the ticker code. It's for Stu, it's a small cap. And I spoke with a guest a few weeks ago that's, who said he was out in uh, regional Australia and he stood beside a train line and he just was thinking about Lindsay Transport. What do you think? I, I'd heard of this one and never actually looked at it. it. It was interesting. It's not my style of business, I must admit, but I could see the appeal. Um, Washington H. Soul Pats is the major shareholder. It feels like their sort of business. It's in that you know real tangible um, asset business and it's uh, crucial infrastructure and, and getting goods around the country. Um, impacted by COVID, mostly through border restrictions. It's hard to get stuff around the country when borders are, are closed or disrupted. Um, all the metrics looks really good. Five-year history, revenue's grown steadily, dividends have grown steadily. I think that reflects the, the, the shareholder base. Um, I stripped out JobKeeper to come to about 17 times earnings, which I think's at the higher end, but COVID affected as well. Um, you assume a recovery, it's probably not super expensive. Um, look, I'll, I'll probably have as a hold. Like I said, it's just, it's not my style of business. Okay. It's capital intensive, it's cyclical. Um, but for what it is, I think it's well run um, and you've got some good shareholders to make sure I think that continues into the future, that you'll see good capital allocation and, and good sort of operational efficiency. Yeah, I agree. Um, you've got a lot of insider ownership. Um, and uh, one thing that's clear in this business is that it, it is rather capital heavy, but not as capital heavy as I thought. So the asset base, 250 million, I expected more from this sort of company. And when I looked, they have a big lease liability, which tells yeah. you that they've either sold or, or leased some of their assets, which is pretty smart for this kind of company. The, the buy case here really, and I looked at this a few years ago, and the buy case was they own a interesting end-to-end -end logistics network mm -hmm. that is chilled. And these refrigerated logistic networks, they are super expensive to set up end-to-end -end and they can be really valuable. 
if you can squeeze more throughput into this network, you should be able to spit out higher margins. Um, and we didn't buy at the time because I just thought that thesis was a bit untested. We actually had a test of that thesis right over the yeah. last few years. The, the, mar the revenues have gone up and the throughputs have actually increased, but the margins have mm. compressed. I was very surprised by that. And I just think the, the scale is very hard to achieve because your costs kind of escalate with your okay. revenues. Um, this is, this is a, a, a well-run business and you won't do awfully from it, but I think it's going to be hard to do really well from it. I, I would hold it if you, if you really want to. I think there are better returns elsewhere, and personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it, but it's a hold for me. Got it. Now, let's get to the lucky last on the list, which is the Reject Shop TRS. I was in a Reject Shop the other day buying a bit of wrapping paper, I don't mind saying. <laughs> this one's for Phil. Hey, Phil, don't forget, everybody, this is information only, and it's not for your own personal uh, financial circumstances. Uh, let's go to you on Reject Shop, Luke. Um, I actually looked at this about five years ago and came to the opinion it was a struggling business and not one you wanted to own. And then when I looked at it yesterday, I came to the opinion it's a struggling business and not one you want to own. Um, the, the headline numbers, it looks like it's been stable for some time, but underlying that, there's actually been store count growth, which suggests that at a store level, they're, they're struggling. And so you're masking your overall top line by increasing the amount of stores you've got. And that's even happened over the last um, few years since I've sort of um, haven't really paid too much attention to it. Um, COVID, COVID obviously hit them as they're not, you know, they don't have any online penetration or, or things mm -hmm. like that. So the, the, the foot traffic shut down. Again, it, it, it feels like another TPG McPherson where you look at that overall metrics about 10 times um, EBITDA. You, you can maybe talk yourself into being cheap, but I just think you have a management team, even reading their latest presentation, all of the um, all of the commentary and all of the, 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 what are the plans moving forward are about cost outs of this business. Cost outs can get you somewhere in the short term, but they get you nowhere in the long term. And, and, and at some point, this business has to show some sort of ability to be able to grow and, and thrive and have a brand that moves you know, um, forward into the future. And until I saw some evidence of that, I, I just can't bring myself. I'll probably sell it, to be honest, Nadine. I, I just think it's a, it's, it's a tough business in a tough industry, and I, they haven't shown. We have, Gorov says all the time, we've got some great retailers listed on the ASX. Go, go and find some of them, because Reject Shop isn't one. Reject Shop, Morgan Stanley's got a, an outperform, I think, on the company saying that it expects improved performance going forward and yeah, that uh, general <laughs> margins were up. Yeah, they might, they might quietly expect to, to be tapped on the shoulder for more capital as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, call me cynical. I think that um, says it all, though, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> uh, look, um, the, the big problem with this business is that it's a, it's a good concept that's been um, expanded to a a size that the concept doesn't work anymore. So these guys have almost 400 stores. And mm -hmm. the original idea was we're going to buy these leftovers mm -hmm. and these cheap bits and bobs from around the world and aggregate them. We're going to get them cheaper than anywhere else. We're going to sell them cheaper to sell them cheaper than anyone else. And that works when you have a store network of maybe 40 or 50 stores. Mm -hmm. It does not work when you have 400 stores. Mm -hmm. So they've actually grown too big. I would be, I'd be more interested in this business if they were coming in to shrink it. If they shrunk this back to under 100 stores, I think there's a nice profitable business in there that won't grow but it'll spit out lots of cash and it probably can command a little niche in the market. Mm -hmm. But at the moment, they're trying to be a big nationwide outlet and they don't have, I don't think they have the sourcing to Yeah, it's not sort of it. reject stuff, it doesn't feel like. It feels not like anymore. just cheap stuff. Well, it's become Kmart now and, and Kmart does Kmart ago. better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, so that is a sell? That, that's a sell. Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's all I have to that's say. That's a sell. <laughs> yes, okay, that's a well, sell. you know what? Good thing, because we're out of time. Yeah. So I'll just wrap it up quickly. Zip is a sell from both of my guests. 
Trajan, uh, look, Gorov really wants to like it. It's on his watch list, but it's expensive. It's a sell now. It's a hold though for Luke because he does fundamentally like the business. It's high quality in his view. TPG, broken thesis for Gorov. So he sold, he's watching it, but he sold it. Um, Luke says that, look, it can always look cheap for what the business is, or TPG will always look cheap for what it is. It's a sell for him. Sell for Lindsay, for Luke. It's cyclical, it's capital intensive. Gorov says, oh, it's not quite as capital intensive as you may think, but margins have actually compressed. So he's not gonna sell it, he would hold it if you have it, but uh, not overly enthusiastic on the company going forward. And then that brings us to the reject shop. You've just heard the reasoning. It is a sell from Luke and it is a sell from Gorov as well. Look, Luke Winchester, it's been great to have you in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys seem me. to get along quite well. You oh, agreed a little bit. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Gaurav, yeah. thanks to you. I don't know if we'll see you both before Christmas, but um, look, if we don't, have a great holiday. I was about to say thank you yes. for, for, the, for the viewers and, and for yourself and the team at Ausbiz. Um, happy Christmas to everyone. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And look, can we get a bit more festive cheer next time? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, a collared shirt yeah. or, a, yeah. or a hat. We should oh. do hats. Well, <laughs> next year. There's always next year, guys. All right. Goodbye to you. Thanks for watching. You can listen to this again on podcast or watch it again. We'll get it up online shortly. Libby's out there. She's getting ready to do so. And we'd love getting your suggestions. Today was a wide variety. You can send them to the call at osbiz.com.au. You can check out that portfolio online as well. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.